we're finishing up our sermon series that we call Wreck the Roof. And this series is all about doing whatever it takes to get a person in front of Jesus, where they can meet Jesus. You'll remember that the first week we heard about four friends who took their friend who'd been paralyzed since birth, and they cut a hole in the roof so they could lower their friend down to be right in front of Jesus so he could heal him. And that man walked out of that house healed. We've talked about how we need to watch for opportunities where we can share Jesus with our friends. And opportunities may be the joys in our life. They may be the struggles in our lives. God uses all of those things as opportunities to let us reach our friends. And we talked about how sometimes we have to be prepared to get obstacles that stand in our way, out of our way, so that we can always be prepared to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Undergirding all of this, the why, the why we do this is love. Because our love for Jesus compels us to want to tell other people about Jesus. And our love for other people also compels us to want to tell other people. Well, the the title of today's message is Keep Your Focus. And let's face it, if we don't keep our focus, it's, it's really easy to lose our focus, isn't it? Sometimes I stand up from my desk in my office over in the annex, and I walk out into the office area of the annex, and by the time I get there, I'm thinking, what did I come here for? What did I want to do? Why am I even here? It's that easy to lose one's focus. This past week, I was reading a a great article about some companies that lost their focus. These are some well-known companies that came out with some products that weren't in their wheelhouse, so to speak. (laughs) And guess what? Each of these products were major failures. They were some of the worst products of all time, and I'm gonna share a few of them with you this morning just for fun. The first one is Colgate Beef Lasagna. Way back in 1982, Colgate made a brief foray into the frozen food business. Now, they're not known for that. You know that, right? They're known for toothpaste, mouthwash, dental care, that kind of thing. And so people were confused. They're like, should I eat this? Should I brush my teeth with this? You know, this product, this product actually made the museum of failures. There is a museum of failures, if you can believe that. Colgate lost a ton of money on this. They lost their focus. They were operating outside of their core competency. I mean, Colgate should have stuck to toothpaste, right? Well, the next product I want to tell you about that was a failure was Cheetos Lip Balm. (laughs) Now, this is specifically made for those cold winter months when your lips start getting all chapped, yet you want to taste some of that cheesy snack flavor while you're out shoveling snow in your driveway. Now, I have to tell you, I am a big fan of almost every snack that ends with the toe, okay? Doritos. Doritos and and Fritos and Tostitos. I love Cheetos. But I just don't think I want to go greasing up my lips with something that tastes like cheesy goodness. And you know what? America didn't want to either. The last one I want to tell you about is Coors Sparkling Water. This product was also a big flop because people who were shopping for water, they thought it was beer. And people who were shopping for beer, they thought it was water. Needless to say, it didn't work out for Coors. 
Now, these products are funny, and we can laugh at them. And they're, they're failures, though, because companies lost their focus. They got away from what they did well. They strayed too far from their primary mission. And that's why companies have mission statements in the first place, to keep the main thing the main thing. Now, it's one thing for a consumer goods company to lose their focus. But it's especially sad when a Christian organization does the same thing. Consider a mission statement of a very well-known university in this country. Here it is. To be plainly instructed and consider well the main end of your life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ. Founded in 1636, this university employed exclusively Christian professors. They emphasized character formation in its students above everything else, and they placed a strong emphasis on equipping ministers of the gospel to share the good news. I know you've heard of this school. It's not Asbury University. It's not Liberty University or any other university like that. This was the founding mission statement of Harvard University. When companies, and even more importantly, churches, begin to operate outside of their primary mission, bad things happen. They begin to drift from their purpose, and you end up with things like Colgate beef lasagna. Jesus was clear on his mission statement. He told us it in Luke 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. You see, Jesus is searching for the lost so that he can save them from sin and death. This is why Jesus came from heaven to earth. This is why Jesus went to the cross And this is why he has told us to go to all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. It is Jesus' primary mission, and so it is also our primary mission. And we can't lose our focus. It's the reason we wreck the roof. Now, you might be asking yourself, what is the one thing that I can do to keep my focus on Jesus' mission? Well, I'm going to tell you today. And we're going to dive into Acts 13 to help us. Now, Acts is a book about the early church and all that they did to spread the mission of Jesus. And in chapter 13 of Acts, we see the Apostle Paul on a missionary journey to the city of Antioch. Paul and Barnabas were commissioned to take the gospel out into the world, not only to Jews, but also to Gentiles. And whenever Paul would go to a city, the first thing that he would do is to go to the synagogue. And in Acts 13, he preaches a message about how the Old Testament prophecies all culminate together in the person of Jesus Christ. So we're going to pick up today in Acts 13, halfway through Paul's sermon. He's going to preach the gospel, and then he's going to call out the one thing that we have to do to keep our focus on our mission. And so we're all going to leave today with one thing, one application, one application that will draw you to Jesus if you're not already there, 
one application that will bring you life in all the fullness that Jesus desires for you. One application that will help you immediately, this week, to keep you calibrated on the primary mission to which you are called. So let's dive in. Acts 13, beginning in verse 26. Paul says, Brothers, you sons of Abraham and also you God-fearing Gentiles, this message of salvation has been sent to us. The people in Jerusalem and their leaders did not recognize Jesus as the one the prophets had spoken about. Instead, they condemned him. And in doing this, they fulfilled the prophet's words that are read every Sabbath. They found no legal reason to execute him, but they asked Pilate to have him killed anyway. And they had done all that the prophecies said about him. They took him down from the cross and placed him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And over a period of many days, he appeared to those who had gone with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. And they are now his witnesses to the people of Israel. In this sermon, Paul explains who Jesus is. And the reason we believe in Jesus is because he was raised from the dead. Now, if he wasn't raised from the dead, then our faith is absolutely futile. We should never bother coming to church again if Jesus isn't alive today. And so if you're here this morning and you're investigating who Jesus is, I want you to know that everything boils down to the resurrection of Jesus. Did Jesus rise from the grave? Now, if he did rise from the grave, then you should submit to everything he ever said because he is the victor over death and he is the giver of life to you. But if he didn't rise from the grave, then nothing about what he said or did even matters anyway. Paul said he did rise and people saw him alive for many days before he was taken back into heaven. Let's keep going. Verse 32. And now we are here to bring you the good news. The promise was made to our ancestors and God has now fulfilled it for us, their descendants, by raising Jesus. Paul is telling them and us that we are living on the best side of history because we live on this side of the resurrection. Because for centuries, people had longed for, wanted God to send the Messiah. They'd hoped for a Messiah. They'd longed for a Messiah. And Paul is saying that we know the Messiah. And his name is Jesus Christ. Verse 34, for God had promised to raise him from the dead, not leaving him to rot in the grave. You see, the resurrection is victory over sin. If Jesus died but he wasn't raised from the dead, then we're no better off than all those people that had longed for a Messiah for so long. But he rose from the grave and he promises you eternal life if you believe in him. You know, for a Christian, every time we drive by a cemetery, every time we go to a funeral service, it might bring up in us some feelings of sadness, some feelings of grief. But it also should make the corners of our mouth turn up just a little bit. 
to break out into a smile because we know that death is not the final answer. Death does not have the victory. Those people in the cemetery will rise again. Our friends in the funeral parlor will rise again. Verse 38, brothers, listen, we are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. You see, friends, it's all about the grace found in Jesus Christ, the grace of forgiveness, God's grace upon grace upon grace poured out upon us. Verse 39, Paul says, everyone who believes in him is made right in God's sight something the law of Moses could never do. You see, it all hinges on belief. Through belief in Jesus, we are made right with God. It's not through the law. It's not by trying to be good enough. It's not by earning anything. It's only through belief in Jesus Christ. Can't you just picture Paul smiling beaming as he proclaims to the crowd, thinking something like, I am thrilled that I am the first person to ever get to tell you this good news, that we have a hope, we can have a relationship with God forever, and it is through belief in Jesus Christ. Verse 42, as Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue that day, the people begged them to speak about these things again the next week. Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, and the two men urged them to continue to rely on the grace of God. So here's Paul's sermon in a nutshell. We told you about a hope that was first shared with us in the Old Testament. Jesus is the fulfillment of that hope. And we believe in him because he rose from the grave and all you have to do is believe and you will be made right with God. Now, if you don't have a saving faith in Jesus Christ, that is why we want to wreck the roof for you at Anderson Hills Church. It's for you to know that you have a hope and his name is Jesus. And we want you to place your faith in him, to be baptized, to believe and spend the rest of eternity starting now following Jesus. Verse 44, the following week, almost the entire city turned out to hear them preach the word of the Lord. But when some of the Jews saw the crowds, they were jealous. So they slandered Paul and argued against whatever he said. Then Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and declared, it was necessary that we first preach the word of God to you Jews. But since you have rejected it and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we will offer it to the Gentiles. Meaning if you don't want it, there are so many people out there who need it and want it. We're going to take it to everybody else. And thus God fulfilled in Paul what was prophesied about him, that God chose Paul to be the one to carry the message of the gospel to the Gentiles. Verse 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they were very glad and they thanked the Lord for his message and all who were chosen for eternal life became believers. So the Lord's message spread throughout that region. You see, Paul preached his sermon and roofs got wrecked that day. 
people heard the word of the Lord and they responded. And that's what we want to happen here at Anderson Hills. I want to get more personal with you for a minute. You know, the reason we want to wreck the roof at Anderson Hills is maybe for your dad. Your dad whose whole life was filled with doubts about faith and and depression and addiction. You never had a faith in Jesus in your house and you wish more than anything that your dad wouldn't go searching for answers in the bottom of a bottle. And now you've had and found your faith in Jesus Christ and you want that more than anything else for your dad. You want him to find forgiveness and and freedom and hope and that's why we want to wreck the roof. We want to wreck the roof for your son for your daughter, the one who's wandered away from the faith, the one who believes that she's and he is not good enough or valued enough. And you know that all his or her value comes from Jesus Christ and it's infinite and there's no nothing that can change that value, that worth, that hope that comes from Jesus Christ. And so what one thing can we do to let people find Jesus? Well, I said, the answer is right here in Acts 13. Did you catch it? Did you hear it? Verse 44, the following week, almost the entire city turned out to hear them preach the word of the Lord. Verse 46, then Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and declared it was necessary that we first preach the word of God to you Jews. Verse 49, so the Lord's message spread throughout that region. You see, the catalyst is the word of God. The foundation for a move of God is dedication to the word of God. Now, we need to be motivated to wreck the roof. And we need the fullness of the life that Jesus promised to us to be alive inside of us so that when other people look at us, they say, I want some of the Jesus that she has. I want some of the Jesus that he has living in him. There was a study done by the Center for Biblical Engagement. They wanted to see what difference reading the word of God made in people's lives. And so they had the participants in the study read the Bible four times a week. And I want to share with you some of the changes that they saw occur in someone who does this. Reading the Bible four times a week causes drinking in excess to go down by 62%. It causes viewing pornography to go down by 59%. Having sex outside of marriage goes down 59%, lashing out in anger, decreases by 31%. I know some of you struggle with these things. We all struggle with something. And there are lots of ways to combat vices like these and others. But if all you do is read the word of God four times a week, the data in this study tells you that your life will radically change, but there's more. Reading the Bible four times a week causes gossiping to go down by 28%. 
Neglecting your family to drop by 26%. Overeating goes down 20%. Feeling bitterness, harboring bitterness goes down 40%. Self-destructive thinking goes down 32%. You see, spending time in God's word does amazing things in your life. It changes you. And this is just from reading it four times a week. But I think this last piece of information is the most staggering piece of data there is. Reading the Bible four times per week causes sharing your faith to go up 226%. Again, this all comes from reading the Bible four times a week. What if everyone at Anderson Hills Church read the Bible every day? I mean, we'd share our faith exponentially, wouldn't we? And when we do that, Hell loses. When we do that, you become an influencer of others when you read God's word. Now, I know it sounds simple, doesn't it? But, you know, sometimes something simple is what saves people. I heard a story recently about the B-17 bomber. It was a really important airplane that helped the Allies to victory in World War II. But there was something interesting I'd never learned before. And that was that the B-17 almost wasn't mass produced because on its very first test flight, it crashed, killing all three pilots aboard. And so there was a big investigation, as you might imagine. All the design people thought, that they had designed it correctly. And all the production people thought that they had produced it correctly. And it turned out after a bunch of investigation and intense meetings that the pilots did not complete a very basic, simple task before takeoff. You see, the captain had left the elevator lock on so the plane didn't respond to pitch control. So the future of Boeing is hanging in the balance over this newly designed plane. And the solution that they came up with was revolutionary at the time. They wrote the first pre-flight checklist. Now, a pre-flight checklist is a series of simple tasks that, if performed correctly, will ensure the safe takeoff and flight and landing of an airplane. I thought this was so interesting. I don't fly very often. But you know, when I do, I have two basic goals. I want to not crash. And I want to get to my destination. Amen? That's pretty simple, right? The solution for the B-17 was also something so simple. Just the release of a lock. Now, these guys were pilots. They were smart but they were forced to start using this basic checklist from then on. Now, I wasn't there. I wasn't even alive back then. But I can imagine that if you gave a really smart pilot something as simple as a checklist, they might be offended. They might think, I don't need this. They might say, oh, Captain Mikey needs a pre-flight checklist. But what they found was, if you want to accomplish a great mission, it starts by doing something simple. 
It's not always something important or grand that you need to do. You see, evangelism explodes when you simply stay focused on and dedicated to the word of God. Read your Bible. It's how we wreck the roof. The scriptures point us to Jesus. It's how we meet Jesus. It's how he ministers to us. My friend, if you're angry, peace lies in this book. If you're anxious, peace lies in this book. If you are in a struggling marriage, the path to sacrificial love lies in the pages of this book. If you're lost and aimless, purpose for your life resides in this book. If you're confused, direction is found in this book. If you're a sinner, salvation is found in this book. Anderson Hills Church puts together for you an amazing Bible reading plan, a plan that we can all get into the word of God together, to be bound by God's word together. Look at this past Tuesday's reading from 2 Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So do you see why it's so important to read the scriptures It's the primary source, the primary channel through which God's grace comes to us and to others. And it is the one consistent spiritual habit that will always keep us growing in our faith and growing in our love for God and in our love for our neighbor. You know, it's easier today than it has ever been in the history of the world to get into your Bible. If you have a smartphone, you carry a Bible with you 24-7 in your pocket. Use our Bible reading plan. You can use it on your phone. You can pick up a print copy, whatever makes it most useful to you. My friends, open your Bible. Read something. Meditate on one scripture a day. Or try practicing memorizing a scripture so that you hide God's word in your heart. I got to tell you, this may be the simplest sermon takeaway you will ever, ever hear. Read your Bible. Commit to the habit of spending time daily with God through scripture and prayer. It will keep you focused on Jesus all day long. And when you do that, I guarantee you're going to start wrecking some roofs. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who is the word made flesh. God, we ask that you would give us a burning desire to crack open the words of life found in Scripture each and every day, that we might meditate on your word, 
that we might hide your word in our heart. And that in so doing, our lives would change. The obstacles, the things that we need to get out of the way would, would be gotten out of the way. And that we might have a love for you so great and a love for our neighbor, our family, our, the person who lives in our neighborhood, our coworker, our friend at school, to share the good news that we've found in Jesus with them. Lord, use us to wreck some roofs that we might change the lives of the people that you've so graciously given to us to influence. We pray this in the name of Jesus, the name above every name, the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.